just as you are getting your tea and coffees there, um, do continue with that. We'll make a restart, I think, just to make sure we stay to time. Great to see you here. Uh, and do, as I say, take advantage of the sandwiches and the tea and the coffee. Um, always very welcome at lunchtime. Um, if you've been here this past couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been um, entering into this new series on First Peter with the title, How to Be Strange. And hopefully um, you'll have remembered some of the things which our past speaker on those two occasions, Moor Casement, had said. And if you haven't, of course, there's, um, there's this, the podcasts now available online. And... Um, you can you you can you can uh, check up on on what he said if you if you need a, a reminder. Um, so essentially, um, we're called to be strange because um, as Peter was writing to exiles um, in in the book of First Peter and people who were marginalised really, and in many ways that's how we see ourselves as we were um, just remembering last time um, people with. Um, a different outlook with different hope to the hope that uh, the world has around us. Um, live, people living with hope which is very much tied up in um, all that this, getting the, mo- the most out of all that this earth, this earthly life can offer, this brief life that we have. Um, but of course our hope is very different. Um, a much more glorious future, eternal future with God in our heavenly home. Uh, where we belong. Um, and then last week, Moore was reminding us as well about how, um, as God's chosen people, uh, with this great hope, we have this great responsibility as well to tell others of the good news and keep on telling them of that good news and also to keep on showing them um, by the way we live as well. Um, so, uh, as I say, do do check back on online to hear some of the detail of that because it really is worthwhile listening to. So we'll continue with the series today and um, with us we have Andrew Elder from the Village Church Belfast. Um, Andrew, to my knowledge, hasn't spoken with us before um, so when he picks up the microphone he will say a little bit about himself before he kicks in um, with our latest uh, edition of How to Be Strange in the World. Um, So before Andrew comes to speak to us, let me read the passage, which you'll have on your tables there, if you'd like to follow along, and then I can pray. So this is 1 Peter, reading from chapter 3, verse 8, down to verse 22. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous 
and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. And there ends the reading. So let's pray. Father God, we do um, give you thanks that we can meet here this lunchtime and uh, we do consider it a privilege to meet and uh, study your word and hear you speaking to us. And we do pray that you would help Andrew as he speaks from your word to speak clearly to us um, and to convey your message that you want to give us this, this lunchtime. And help us as well to be attentive as we listen and pray that we will um, go away and apply and seek to apply what we have learned to our lives and in our workplaces. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's good to see you all. Um, as Jeff said, my name's Andrew. Uh, I'm, I'm pastor with Village Church. I don't know if you've heard of us or not. We're fairly fairly new church. Um, we have a we have a congregation on the Newtonards Road and we have one on the Omer Road as well. Uh, so south and east, yet to conquer north and west. Uh, we have two quadrants of the city done. I'm originally from Ballymena, although you probably can't hear it in my accent. Uh, but if my mum called me right now, you would hear it come out thick and strong. So hopefully she doesn't call and you'll all be able to understand me okay. Um, continuing this theme, I've been speaking to Sam and he's been uh, telling me you guys have been looking at this idea of how to be strange. Um, and Jeff has alluded to that as well. Today we're going to look at this idea of, of being strangely resilient. Um, I don't know if you saw on the news, uh, maybe just a couple of days ago, that an explorer has now done the deepest dive uh, into the Marianas Trench, that deeper than anyone has ever gone before. So 35,000 feet, something like that, very, very far down. And when they got there, he discovered lots of uh, new species of fish, but also a plastic bag. There was a plastic bag way down there at the bottom of the sea. And that made me think of, well, how resilient is that piece of plastic? Now, obviously, there's lots of problems with that. But as an analogy, 
This piece of uh, plastic is withstanding huge amounts of pressure, the cold, the temperatures, the currents, all that kind of stuff, and it exists in one piece still there. And this is the idea we want to look at today. So I want us to think about, and you've got your, um, you've got your little handouts there. I want you to think about really uh, what, what drives you or, or what, what gets you through the, the tough times. Okay, we know that we all go through difficult times in life, and, and Peter is really talking about this in this passage. Um, what gets, what's going to get you through those tough times? So maybe if you just want to take like a, a minute, and maybe um, if you can jot, just jot a couple of notes down on, on what's going to drive you through the, the tough times in life. What is your core motivation? What gets you through? Just maybe for 30 seconds or a minute here. So, to kind of come back together, um, I think that I think that sometimes, for 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 if if we're a, if you're a Christian today, um, us as Christians, we think it's easy, or, or we assume that our hope lies in Christ. That that's the thing that drives us. That that our faith is the thing that gets us through. Um, but I wonder if really, if we examined our lives and examined our hearts, uh, would we find that to be the case? Um, I used to run my own business, and, and certainly for me at that time, uh, a lot of my focus was on financial security because when you have kids and bills to pay and so on and so on, then uh, financial security becomes really, really important. And I would say that for the majority of people in life, uh, financial security is a massive pillar, a massive uh, source of determination, a massive source of security. Um, an American, American financial advisor called Brian Tracy, I don't know if you ever come across him, he's what he calls a success expert, so I'm not really sure what that means. Um, he's a success expert, but he says this, financial security and independence are like a three-legged stool resting on savings, insurance, and investments. And this is really the kind of thinking that, that the world tells us that we are to build our hope on, isn't it? I think uh, even uh, um, I remember hearing in a church once upon a time that every good Christian home should be built upon, and this is an actual quote, and I'm not going to name the church or anything like that, that every good Christian home should be built upon income protection insurance. Now, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid, so I thought the foundation should be, you know, Jesus, the Sunday school answer, but it was to do with financial security. But let me ask you, what happens when your source of security is taken away? What if your source of security is a partner or a parent or your job? What happens when you lose your job or you're made redundant or that, that you lose that relationship through death or, or tragedy? What happens then? Uh, well, I think in this passage, Peter tells us that, that as Christians, we can have this uh, strange resilience, a resilience that the world doesn't have. We have a resilience that, uh, that is strange because, as he says at the end of this passage, Christ has conquered. And that's what we're going to say, see over the next few minutes. 
So what does it look like to have this strange resilience? Well, if you have, your, if you have the sheet with the passage on it, if you look at verse 13, he says, uh, Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? I don't know if you describe yourself as being zealous for, for good. Um, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, that is, those who are persecuting you, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. You see, a strange resilience starts by honoring Christ the Lord as holy. So uh, when he's saying this, he's, he, he's saying that the opposite of fear of man, the opposite of fear of people, is honoring Christ the Lord as holy. And he's alluding to Isaiah chapter 8. He's already uh, quoted Isaiah chapter 8 earlier on in the letter, and it's probably on his mind. I imagine that as he was writing this letter, he had been reading Isaiah that morning, or maybe he had been teaching it to someone, or maybe he's been having his meditation on it. Um, but he, quote, he quotes Isaiah chapter, chapter 8. He alludes to it. And this is what Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 to 14 says, and you'll notice the similarities. It says, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. So you see the mirror image there? Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. In other words, do not fear, uh, do not regard as important what the world regards as important. We're not bound by concerns of money. We're not bound by popularity or, or, or even our own personal security. We fear the Lord. That's what he says. The people of God are to fear the Lord, not people. And so if we don't honor Christ, then we'll never be a hopeful people because other objects of, of hope, other objects that might give us a motivation to get through the tough times, other things that might make resilience just fade away and crumble and aren't enough at the end of the day. But when we honor Christ, the Lord is holy, we regard him in our hearts, in his rightful place. Above all, that's what honoring Christ, the Lord is holy means. It's recognizing Christ as Lord over all and placing ourselves in submission to Him. So look at verse 22, if you have it there. Look at verse 22. What does He say? He says, um, Jesus Christ, who has gone oh, uh, into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. So here's a key point I want you to remember today. We don't honor Christ as holy to make Him Lord of all. We honor Christ as holy because He is Lord of all. Okay, let me say that again. We don't honor Christ as holy to make Him Lord of all. We honor Christ as holy because He is Lord of all. And so in honoring Christ, it's just a, simply a recognition of who He is. It's a recognition of His status. And it's a reordering of our priorities to give Him the glory and honor that's already His. So when we honor Christ, we recognize that He is Lord of all. We recognize that, that He is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers being subject to Him. And when we do this, of course we won't fear the world. Because what can anyone do to, to, do to us in light of the eternal God? This is why Peter says in verse 13, Who is there to harm you? Because who can really harm us? Christ is the one that we honor. God is the one that we fear. So who can really harm us? And so to honor Christ as holy is to not fear what the world fears. Not to regard as important what the world regards as important, but to give Christ his rightful place and value what he values. So here's the challenge then. The challenge uh, for us, uh, and you guys, 
by the way, just, just so you know, uh, Christians in the workplace, ordinary Christians doing ordinary things for the name of Jesus, that's incredible to me. I, I, I just find that so incredible. I get paid to be a Christian. <laughs> you guys don't. Um, so you have my utmost respect. So the challenge for us, for us all, the challenge for you today as you go back to your workplace is this. If we're not honoring Christ the Lord as holy, then we're living in the fear of man. And if we find ourselves living in the fear of man, if you find, yourselves being, find yourself being preoccupied with, um, I wonder what they think of me, or I want to achieve this, and I want, there's nothing wrong with achieving, but if, we, if we're preoccupied with other people's opinions of ourselves, then we're probably not honoring Christ the Lord as holy. And this is the first step to being strangely resilient. But it's a beautiful thing. So Peter, Peter puts uh, honoring Christ the Lord as holy, not, uh, not only as the um, antidote to the fear of man, but also the source of hope, right? So honoring Christ the Lord of holy removes our fear of man and makes us strangely resilient through suffering. Why? Because Christ has conquered. You see, our hope through suffering comes from a knowledge that Christ has conquered and that we are joined with Christ. So uh, Paul, um, you know, Paul doesn't uh, try to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. He doesn't try to paint a rosy picture. He, he makes it clear that if you're a Christian, you probably will suffer. In verse 17, he says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And sometimes it is God's will that you will suffer for doing good. But in that suffering... God doesn't leave us without any hope, right? In verse 14, Peter tells us that even if we should suffer for righteousness sake, we will be blessed. He says you will be blessed. So maybe you're in a spot right now where you are suffering for your faith. You're suffering because of, for righteousness sake, as, as Peter calls it. And you don't feel very blessed by that. You don't feel very blessed. Maybe you've, maybe you've taken a stand for Christ in your workplace and, and you've been persecuted for it. Maybe, maybe you didn't lie on a performance record so the, the uh, promotion passed you by or, or, or maybe certain uh, members of the workforce treat you differently or ostracize you because of your faith, because of the, thing, the way you think uh, about things like abortion or same-sex marriage or, or these social issues that are impacted by our faith in Christ. If that's you then I want you to hear what the Lord is saying to us through the words of Peter in verse 12 as he quotes Psalm 34. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. So, so let me encourage you by saying this. God sees you, and God hears you. So you don't, you don't, you don't go out into the world, you don't go into work, you don't go to the grocery shop, you don't go uh, into the world on your own. God sees you, God hears you. And Jesus has given us that promise that as we go into the world to make disciples, that he is with us even to the end of the world. So you're not alone. So when you find yourself suffering for the sake of the gospel, you can take heart, right? That's literally what encourage, be encouraged means. Take heart that through the suffering of Christ, once and for all for sins, verse 18, we are made righteous and the eyes of the Lord are upon us and he hears our prayer. He never allows us to suffer alone. His promise to us is that He is with us even to the end of the age. He knows what you're going through. God knows what you're going through. And He's just waiting for us to cry out to Him. 
But more than that, through his death, uh, we're united with Christ and we share in his conquering. This is our eternal hope. This is that our eternal place is secure with him. We're seated in the heavenly realms, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. And this is why, I don't know if, uh, if you've ever read this book. If you haven't, I encourage you to. Uh, uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um, I encourage you to read that book as, as, as Lewis uh, works out his own faith. And he says this, Faith in Christ is the only thing to save you from despair. Faith in Christ is the only thing to save you from despair. See, our faith in Christ is the one who has conquered death and sin and now sits at the right hand of the Father, allows us to put the fear of the world behind us, right? And give Jesus the place of honor that he deserves. And this is why we get to these strange verses, don't we? Uh, in verse 19, 20, and 21, where, where, where he starts talking about spirits in prison and he starts talking about Noah and going through waters. Well, what Peter is simply doing here, he's comparing the time of Noah you all familiar with the story of Noah? Peter is comparing the, the time of Noah to the time of the church, the time that we now live in. So he's saying it was a time of great immorality. It was a time uh, when uh, there was evil in the world. But Noah was a righteous man. Noah listened to God and Noah obeyed God. And he faced persecution. He faced reviling and slander. And as, as Noah was building the ark, the people would, would, um, would, would, would come and give him a hard time and, and revile him. But Noah and his family, just a few people, were spared the judgment of God because they obeyed the word of God. And that should sound familiar to us. A few people spared the judgment of God because they obeyed the word of God. And if we obey God and if we're faithful to him, even in the face of suffering, suffering for his sake, God will bring us through the flood. That's what he's saying. God will bring us to safety. And then he draws this comparison out even further. And he says, this is actually corresponding to baptism. This is a picture of baptism. In the same way that Noah and his family went through the waters of the flood, when we go through the waters of baptism, it's a representation of God sparing us from his judgment and bringing us to a place of honor and blessing. Now, I know there's lots of different views uh, in the church about baptism, and that's okay. I'm not going to get into that right now. I'll be here all day. Um, but whatever your view is on that, this is what it is. It's a representation of God sparing us His judgment and bringing us into His family. And He makes it clear that it's not the, the water that actually saves us. And he says it's not a, as a removal from dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, baptism is a, re a representation of the hope that we now have in Christ. Our ultimate hope is in what? Is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 21. So who is there to harm you? Because he tells us in verse 16 that, that those who revile you are going to be put to shame. And so just as Peter uses these words to, to strengthen the hope of the believers that he was writing to, let's, let's be strengthened. Let our resilience be, resolved, or, or, let our resilience be uh, emboldened. That through his death, Jesus proclaimed victory over all spheres of being, all spheres of reality, all spheres of life, including the spiritual realm. That in verse 18, the once and for all sacrifice was victory over all things. And this is our hope. And it's because that Christ has conquered all things that we can be strangely resilient. Finally, there's one more aspect of this that I want to bring out before we have a few minutes to, to discuss this at our tables. And it's found in verse 15 again. Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We're to be prepared to give a reason for our hope when people ask. But here's my point. People are only going to ask about the hope that you have if they see your hope. And people are only going to see your hope if your hope is displayed. Does that make sense? People are only going to ask about the hope that is in us if we display that hope that is in us. You see, the world has no explanation for uh, the hope of Christians. It just doesn't make sense to them. And why would it? So it must seem very strange that when Christians are reviled, when we're slandered, uh, when we're persecuted time and time and time again for what we believe, that we continue to do good and proclaim the very message that we're being persecuted for. That doesn't make any sense. And this is the strange resilience that we have in the world. And Peter's making a point that this strange resilience actually serves a very important function. You see, for, for, for Peter... Uh, for Peter, he exhorts us uh, to not repay evil for evil, for reviling for reviling, but we are to bless because this is what we're called to, because this speaks a really loud and really clear message. So I want to put it to you. I want to put this to you as we're finishing here. For Peter, it's not enough to just endure suffering for Christ's sake. Okay, I mean, and you might think, wow, that's an incredible thing, but he raises the bar not one notch but two notches. It's not even enough uh, to endure suffering for Christ's sake without complaining about it, right? What Peter says is that our resilience is about enduring suffering um, for the sake of the gospel without grumbling and continuing to do good, to serve those who persecute us, to bless those who would harm us. This is real resilience. This is the strange resilience we have in the face of suffering. So maybe you want to think about some of the, maybe you have some family members or colleagues who, who make fun of you. You know the jokes, we've all had the jokes. Or, or, or it's other people who don't take you seriously because of your faith. Or, you know, think about those people and pray for them. Treat them well. Serve them. Don't make jokes back again. Don't talk about them behind their back. Don't try and clamber all over them to get to the top. Serve them. Love them and ask the Lord how you can bless them. I, it's my conviction, I've seen this time and time again, that most people won't be convinced about the truth of the gospel of Jesus by uh, well-articulated arguments. Those things are important, but I don't really think that's what convinces people. I think that people see the truth of the gospel when they see us take hope in suffering for the sake of the gospel. So it's through the strange resilience of believers that the world will see the, the, the message that we have. Uh, our, the reason for our hope is also our message of hope. And here's how this passage works. Because really, uh, when, when people um, ask for a reason, the only reason we can give them is the reason that Peter gives us in verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The once and for all sacrifice of Jesus in our place for our sins restores the separation between God and man. The reason for our hope is the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus is also our message of hope. 
And through faithfully suffering for the sake of the gospel, we proclaim Christ crucified to those around us. So let me break this down, and hopefully this is clear whenever I I say this. Um, Here's how this passage works. We have this hope. We honor Christ as holy. So we're zealous for doing good. Even when it's costly, and even though we will suffer because of it, so our hope will be displayed. And then we give a reason for our hope. And what reason do we give? Christ is holy. It comes for the full circle. We honor Christ as holy. We're zealous for what is good. We suffer for it. We have hope. And we give the reason for our hope, which is Christ is holy. So let, let's be encouraged today. Uh, let's uh, be reminding each other um, of the message of hope that we have um, we have hope through suffering because Christ has, 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 has conquered. Um, it's the re- reason for our hope. It's the message of our hope. We endure because Christ endured. And we're strangely resilient because Christ has conquered. Let, let, let me pray for us and, and then we'll have a few minutes for discussion. Father, thank you that you endured the cross. and Because of your endurance, we can endure. Thank you, uh, Lord, that because you suffered once for sins, that you put an end to all suffering. Lord, help us to be strangely resilient in whatever walks of life that we go back into now. In Jesus' name, amen.